Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And uh, yeah, back in, in the in the swing of things uh, lately, I've got five movies this, this week, uh, and they're almost all new movies, um, or one is new to Blu-ray. But uh, so I'll, I'll start with uh, Anish Chiganti's Run. Okay. Uh, oh. Which, Tyler, I, I don't know if you've uh, in in my in my head, you are like completely unaware of the world around you, what day it is, because I I uh, that's what I hear about like you know new parenthood is that uh, uh, you just don't have time for anything other than attending to these two uh, infants. There there is, I mean, it's weird the stuff that does get through. I'll say that. Okay. Um, you know, uh, you're certainly correct in that, like, it took me, I didn't, it took me a while to re- remember what day it was today. Um, like, if I, if I, if it's not a work day for me, like, if I'm not teaching that day, then all the right. days just blend together. Um, and uh, yeah, certainly as far as like culture, I, I yeah. pick up on things randomly here and there. Like if a, if a Facebook group that I'm, that I'm a part of posts it. And even then, like I rarely click on it. So I usually just know like the headline or something, but, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, there, you know, I, I'm aware of some things and uh, hopefully as the kids get older and require a little bit less, especially when it comes to like sleeping and, and that sort of thing. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to get sort of back on track. Not well, that I was uh, ever on track in the first place. <laughs> but I, uh, what I'll say is I don't know if you're even aware of the movie run, even though our friend, our actual friend and friend of the show, Pat Healy, uh, mm-hmm. is is in it. Um, but uh, it's very up your alley. Okay. If I talk about the kinds of movies this movie, it's a horror thriller, but the kinds of movies that made me think of are things like Don't Breathe or Wait Until Dark oh. or those type of things, except it's not, uh, both of those are about a blind person. The person here is not blind. Uh the actress uh, Kira Allen stars as a teenage girl uh, who has a number of was it's complications at birth and has a number of health lifelong chronic health issues that have led her to be mostly homebound, mostly completely dependent on her mother. She's on a lot of medication. She uses a wheelchair, um, uh, uh, and and she's getting ready to go off to college. She's waiting for a college acceptance letter, um, and. Uh, but one day her mother played by the great Sarah Paulson uh, comes home and she, and the girl is uh, uh, Chloe is the daughter's name is going through the groceries and she finds a bottle of pills, but it's not her name on the prescription. It's her mom's. But then those pills show up the next day in her like pills for the day. And she's like, you know, what's going on? What's my mom pulling on me? And, and yeah. so, uh, I don't want to give too much away beyond that. That's just the sort of inciting uh, incident, but she finds out some things about uh, uh, her mom that uh, uh, are surprising to her. And uh, yeah, the uh, Anish Chiganti, um, who made Searching, which I didn't see, but heard was good. Uh, I, I heard it was ago. very good, yes. Um, uh, he finds lots of fantastic, you know, there's uh, um, uh, a part where her mom locks her in the in the bedroom. And so uh, uh she decides to 
go out her window and around the roof into the into window in the other part of the house. Remember, this is a woman whose young le- or a young woman whose legs don't work. So it becomes this uh, uh, what's sort of there's the, the just the the mechanism of getting her from point A to point B becomes tense in and yeah. of itself. Um, plus, you've got Sarah Paulson doing doing great work. Um, it's a really fun. It's like ninety minutes long. It's a really uh, just fun. That sounds great. Uh, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Um, uh, I don't know. It's tight. Uh, a tight thriller. It's not yeah. really the word I was looking for. Taunt? Spry? Spry, maybe? Let's say okay. it's a spry thriller. Uh, yeah, and it, it's taught, too. Uh, you've got to be carefully taught. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, that combines two things Tyler doesn't like, which is <laughs> puns and musical, musical theater. Yeah. That's from South Pacific, if you didn't know. You've got, you know what? Hang on now. Got to be I'm trying to taught. think if I... I don't think I dislike musical theater, oh. uh, but, you know, just like anything, um, there are people that are just so into it that they will like anything that falls into the category. And I'm certainly not that either, you know, like uh, my my standard thing was in in not great, you know, in in so in my view, subpar uh, musicals the way they incorporate the music itself uh, always frustrates me, you know, like there'll be a conversation happening and then suddenly the conversation takes a turn that doesn't totally fit with what they were just talking about. Oh, it's a, it's a three three line of dialogue ramp up to a song that is vaguely related. (laughs) Um, And so uh, that's, that's usually when I don't really enjoy it, but I, I'm not opposed to, to musical theater, but when it's done poorly and maybe my definition of it being done poorly i'm really not a fan of it all right well uh Sorry next that. up that's okay next up i watched um uh have you heard of ha- okay testing the waters of what you've heard of have you okay. heard of ha- happiest season i have yes okay so if you uh uh let me describe it anyway okay uh <laughs> So happy season is a. Wouldn't it be funny if we ran the podcast in such a way that if either of us have heard of something, it's like, well, no need to describe it then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As though the listeners aren't even there. So, it's a lesbian Christmas, a lesbian Christmas romance directed by and co-written by Cleo Duvall, starring oh. Kristen Stewart, Mackenzie Davis, Mary Steenburgen, Allison Brie, uh, Mary Holland, Aubrey Plaza. It's on a gas. It's basically like there are certain segments of twitter where it almost feels like oh i fed a bot this twitter feed for (laughs) for 30 days and it came up with this movie it seems so perfectly geared towards a certain type of person that i'm kind that i kind of am or at least am tangentially related to and so when i tell you that it actually fulfills lives up to the the promise i left off dan levy uh uh from, from the cast um when I tell you it actually lives up to its promise, I'm just as surprised as you are. But this movie is great. It is destined to be for me, I think, a uh, a regular Christmas time watch. Mm. Um, it's uh, it's it's very funny. It's also very sweet. It's a you know it's a romance. It's a tearjerker. The premise of the movie is that um, uh, Mackenzie Davis and Kristen Stewart are, are uh, a couple who live together, and uh, Kristen Stewart comes home with Mackenzie Davis to her parents' home for 
for Christmas. And it's not until they're sort of almost there that Mackenzie Davis is like, hey, by the way, I actually am not out to my family and never told them about you. And you're going to have to pretend you're just my roommate who is who doesn't have anywhere else to go for Christmas. And so that's um, on the one hand, that's like a great sort of uh, sure. comic setup. There's plenty of like shenanigans you can get up to with that. On the other hand, that's a very hurtful place for Kristen Stewart's character yeah. to be. It's a very... Uh, um, hurtful thing for Mackenzie Davis's character to have done. And the movie doesn't, uh, it doesn't paper that over. Um, mm-hmm. It actually has a, a, a really strong uh, uh, emotional journey for, for both women. That's another thing to its credit is that there's a part of me that wants to be like Mackenzie Davis, or at least your character. Uh, this is, this was awful of you to do. Like, I, I like, I don't yeah. know how I could be on your side, but the movie does put you on her side. Um, partially by letting you know how nuts her family is. And sure. uh, that's where Alison Brie uh, comes into play and, and Mary Steenburgen. And, oh, and Victor Garber plays her dad. Oh, yeah. um, the movie is just, uh, just filled with one uh, great scene after another. It's very uh, relatable and very, um, I think, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Well observed uh, uh, in terms of, it's individual characters emotions. Um, and even though it has some characters who are larger than life, um, like Mary Holland's character who Mary, Mary Holland, uh, uh, I don't know if you know who she is. You recognize if you saw her, she's okay. She pops up in a lot of sitcoms and stuff. She's a very funny woman. Uh, and she actually co-wrote the screenplay and plays, uh, plays, uh, Mackenzie Davis's younger sister. Um, uh, but I, like even as broad as some of the characters are, um, they're they're uh, very well de- well defined in ways that make them sympathetic, and also you get a very specific kind of comedy. The, the movie is very funny, but it doesn't feel like you know. Sometimes there are comedies where you can tell, okay, well this is the writer's sense of humor because all the jokes are kind of. But the types of jokes change depend on depending on which character they involve because Good, yeah. uh, b- because they're very different uh, characters and so I, I, mean, I named this great cast everyone's great together I said I have to say if I had to pinpoint my favorite scenes it's the scenes between Kristen Stewart and Dan Levy who play sort of BFFs and Dan Levy plays uh, even though it's a different setup. Dan Levy is kind of the same role that Little Howry Howry played in Get Out. He's the one. Okay. He's the one back home in Pittsburgh that whenever you know as things get like crazy and frustrating for Kristen Stewart, she keeps calling her friend and checking in with him and like you know uh, unloading on him. And he has there's a great bit where she calls him a number of times and he has his own storyline that you mostly follow based on where he is and what he's doing at the time that she calls him. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's very fun. It's very funny. Um, and also very emotional. It's a, it's a real tearjerker. I think it's, uh, it's great for everyone. It kind of reminds me, I never saw, I know you've talked about this. I never saw love Simon, mm. but I think you've talked about the idea of, uh, it being almost revolutionary that something so traditional and classical and mainstream is made yeah. about gay characters. That, yeah. That's, um, and in, but in the case of love, Simon, like also something that's kind of milk toast in a lot of ways, right. you know, <laughs> just, it's, it's always nice when something that's don't get me wrong. Like for, for a lot of people, love Simon obviously was very memorable. Uh, but because it's all of these things that we're talking about, it's just like, yeah, it's just, it's run of the mill. And uh, you know, uh, marginalized groups should have their run-of-the-mill boring movies too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, Happy Season is not run-of-the-mill, but it is classical, yeah. and it is it's it's a it's a 
there's no irony to the fact that it's a Christmas movie, and mm-hmm. there's no irony to the fact that it's a love story. It just happens to be about two women. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the main difference but then there also are specific obviously storylines the idea of being closeted is not you know uh necessarily going to uh, you know apply to a hetero uh, couple right. um anyway uh all right and then the third movie i watched speaking of uh uh movies about two women um this uh, this movie is 1978's girlfriends but it's in the the old fashioned, uh, sure. the way that like moms talk the about the way like, our moms would say, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and this one is uh, newly out on Blu ray from the Criterion Collection, uh, it's directed by Claudia Weil. And it is having watched it now, reala- realizing, oh, it's this is a huge, clear influence on Francis Ha, hmm. um, because it basically has the same there. You've got the main character who's uh, a, a New York sort of aspiring artist instead of a dancer. She's a photographer this time. Uh, and she's very close with her roommate and best friend. And then that roommate slash best friend moves out, moves in with a guy and gets married. And it sort of like upends uh, our main character's entire life because this was her, this was her person in a way, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, so it's it's very much and it's also very New York, just like Francis Ha uh, uh, was. Um, so it's uh, uh, so it's surprisingly similar, but also just great. Talk about a funny movie. I just said this with Happiest Season. Um, Girlfriends has that kind of New York sense of humor of being funny because it's about people who are funny like yes it's not like uh they get in funny situations it's like uh so the main woman uh, melanie marin uh is the actress who plays susan weinblatt the main character and her boyfriend eventually is actually played by a baby christopher guest <laughs> oh wow uh, uh, and there, when they first meet at a party, their flirtation, it's like, oh, these are two funny people, like trying to make each other laugh yeah. by being, by being silly. Um, uh, uh, and, and the movie's funny because of that. It also has some just like funny, funny stuff. There's a part, cause there's a part where she, uh, is actually going to have some of her photographs shown at the, at this gallery. So she goes to the gallery to meet with the gallerist and her assistant. So it's this middle-aged woman and her young male assistant who were both wearing like neck braces for ne- never explained they're just the entire scene it's just they're wearing neck braces it's never commented on or explained there's lots of funny stuff uh, neck braces like are almost too. always funny <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um uh uh there's something else i was gonna say oh yeah speaking of uh early turns from uh uh people who would go on to to other uh uh bigger things the the former roommate's new husband is played by a young Bob Balaban who's oh. uh, who like, I normally don't like to get uh, to talk about this sort of thing, but uh, we see Bob Balaban's bare ass. <laughs> it's not a thing you um, ever thought you'd say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's fine. It's 1978 and he is, you can tell he's already balding a little bit, but also, mm-hmm. but physically he's like, oh, that, Bob Balaban was in good shape <laughs> in 1978. Um, uh yeah so i uh uh really loved girlfriends would really recommend the um the uh the blu-ray oh let me okay so you tyler you've done some acting uh, yeah um I, I guess this would mainly apply more to on to on film acting which you've done sure. less of than stage acting but 
there's something I learned from the special features, uh, a modern day sort of reunion or zoom reunion is clearly done recently. Um, uh, and I don't want to say what the, so the final shot of the movie is a freeze frame. Okay. On Melanie Marin's face. And, um, she tells the story in this reunion of like when she first saw the final cut of the movie, uh, um, going up so the character like looks down for a second then it freezes on on her face and so she goes up to the director and she's like that's a great ending but i don't remember doing that like i know we did that scene a couple times i don't remember that look down and the director says do you remember we finished one take and i said let's keep rolling and go again and so that look down is not susan the character it's melanie Marin, the actress just sort of looking down to gather herself to go and do the role again and that's it's a nice story and made for a good ending but is that like from an actor standpoint, is that like a betrayal to do that? Like that wasn't, that I don't wasn't know if I'd go that choice. far, but uh, back in school, um, I was in uh, s- several directing classes and we would all act in each other's things. And it, it, uh, it actually happened to me a couple of times um, where I was doing something in between takes that was just kind of for me. And it wasn't even anything like getting centered. It was just like, like cracking my neck or something like that. And the director thought like that fit really well. And I was just like, well, I wasn't cracking my neck in character. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, granted it would, it would have looked pretty much the same, but, uh, but yeah. And I remember just being like, Oh, kind of wish you'd ask me ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, Cause yeah, it's, it's, it feels not necessarily wrong. And God knows it's something that does happen uh, in movies and it's, and it often creates like, some really nice moments. Um, like I remember uh, in the usual suspects, there's a, a, a scene where the characters, you know, they're all in the lineup and there's a moment where they're all laughing. Like they're all like cracking each other up. And that was the actors like laughing, hmm. but Brian Singer thought like, well, these guys are so irreverent. The characters are so irreverent and have no respect for the authority of what's going on that they would laugh uh, in this moment. And so he used that and it, and it, it definitely creates an organic moment and you feel, and it adds a different layer to these characters, but it adds a layer that the actors had no intention of, right. of bringing. So it can be, I could see it. I don't know if I'd go be, say betrayal, but it definitely feels a little like, Oh, you're not super respecting the craft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, but in the end it's what the director wants. Um, Okay, so my one film is a rewatch, though it is a film I've not seen in about 15 years. Uh, Jen and uh, another friend and I, we are uh, continuing our journey uh, through Star Wars. And so I watched Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, uh, a film I have not seen uh, again in quite a while. Maybe... Maybe since it came out in theaters, uh, I feel like maybe I saw it once more after that, but I, I, I don't think so, actually. Um, I've seen... I. I didn't even see Revenge of the Sith in the theater because I didn't like episodes yeah. one and two or two. I watched, I'm pretty sure this is going to be like sacrilegious. I'm pretty sure the only time I have seen Revenge of the Sith was when it was on HBO, which means this is HBO in 2005 or six, which means it was four by three. So I've never actually seen Revenge of the Sith and it's like full aspect ratio. Well, you're not missing much. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, because... I think if it's scope, I'm missing about the, uh, you know, two-thirds of the picture right what what i mean to say is that uh george lucas is not really utilizing that frame uh you know i'm i'm continuing to realize not that i 
thought the films were, you know, visual masterpieces in the first place. But in watching them now with like my, you know, my more recent sensibilities, you come to realize like just how little he's doing with the frame. Uh, he really does seem to treat the camera as purely functional more than anything else. Um, and then from the, it's definitely the best of the original three. And I think it's because when you're wrapping things up, you don't really have much time for meandering. And so it just kind of keeps things moving. Uh, and the, you know, the story of somebody being corrupted is always kind of interesting, especially when you discover how they're being corrupted. And, you know, if there's somebody actively doing the, the corrupting. And so I do think that, you know, Ian McDermott, who plays Palpatine, uh, you know, seemed to be the, the emperor, uh, you know, in the first Spoilers. couple movies, oh yeah, sorry. Uh, in the first couple movies, he has to be uh, kind of cagey. Whereas in this one, it's like, no, okay, I've now revealed myself, so I can just be as gleefully evil as I want to be. And it is, it's, it's over the top and delightful, and it's like the first time any of the characters have had any kind of pulse, really. Um, and there, and there are a couple moments that are a little bit more intense emotionally, and I think like Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen do, do a fine job with that. But by and large, the movie is just you know there. Are, anytime it deals with the romance, it's eye rolling, and then unsurprisingly, like the action sequences uh, go on too long. Like that is clearly what George Lucas was like really banking on. That's what he was really putting his effort into. Uh, and so he just really draws it out and treats everything like it's epic. And while I understand like Obi-Wan Kenobi versus Anakin Skywalker, that is epic. But at the same time, it gets, it just goes on so long that after a while, it's just like, yeah, okay, we, we got it. You know, um, you can create something epic in, in, t in a two to three minute sequence. It doesn't have to be just drawn out. Uh, like, mm -hmm. you know, if you just trust the actors, which I don't think he necessarily did, they will, they will you know, they will go a long way in creating the moment. Um, but yeah, so what Jen and I are doing, I think I mentioned we're going in the, you know, we're watching all the movies like in the order that, that the events happened. So next up is solo and then uh, rogue one. And then basically everything else is just straightforward. But, um, but yeah, so I was glad that I watched these, you know, I think we watched three of them within the last, I think month and so you see them in sort of close in 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 close proximity to one another and solo is probably going to be next week and so it'll be interesting to watch obviously that that transition especially between a world that is almost completely digital to one where digital effects are used i won't say sparingly but they're used in a more judicious way um and with directors who I think care frankly more about characters and, and what the actors can bring to it. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's certainly the best of the three, but it's, it's really not saying much. Yeah. I, uh, um, I, I've been meaning to rewatch the prequels at, at, at some point, but I, um, yeah, George Lucas's bad dialogue and lack of interest in character has led to a situation where here we are 15 years later and I'm still surprised every once in a while when the Hayden Christensen is good in something. Yeah. Because it's not like, it's not his fault that, uh, uh, Anakin's a, a lame character. Yeah. I mean, between episode two and three, he was in shattered glass. Uh, and I guess right. the same, the same year as episode two, he was in, uh, life as a house, which I, I don't necessarily love as a movie, but I think he's quite good in it. Um, and so, yeah, he, he, could be good with directors who gave a damn. Um, but yeah, between that dialogue and, uh, and, uh, 
director who just didn't wasn't really that engaged on that level yeah he was uh doomed yeah and i'm realizing i haven't seen him in anything in a decade vanishing on seventh street was the last movie oh, that yeah. i saw with uh with hayden with old h christ in it yeah um well i guess he appears in rise of skywalker uh, or his voice does according to imdb oh sure um all right so back to me now i've got i've got two in a row uh tyler two both movies about musicians one a bad movie about a musician i like one a good movie about a musician i don't like oh fine. so uh, i'll start first with uh gabriel range's stardust which is a uh david bowie biopic but a biopic in the way that not it's not like the whole life it's one of those that just tells a very specific uh uh chapter and this very specifically usually, tells, i usually like those more i like that approach yes um this one is specifically about um David Bowie doing his promotional tour in the U S of doing uh, interviews and small gigs to, to promote the, the album, the man who sold the world. Um, so he's coming to a place where he's the only thing, like the only thing anyone ever, if people even know who David Bowie is, it's because they know space oddity. And that is kind of at this point still seen as like a novelty song in a way. Mm-hmm. So um, he's, a, not very well known or respected, and B, is just starting to take on what will become the Ziggy Stardust character. So he's like a full-on weirdo in a lot of people's eyes. Um, and uh, his companion is the publicist from uh, his label, uh, Ron Overman, which is a real person. But here he's played by Mark Marin, mm. And David Bowie is played by Johnny Flynn. Um, so, uh, and here you've got a minor problem but um johnny flynn is 15 years older old too old to be playing david bowie at this age like david Mm -hmm. bowie would have been in his early to mid 20s at this time and johnny flynn is our age um mark maron is it's even more egregious (laughs) because the actual ron overman was also in his 20s at the time uh mark maron is the age of mark (laughs) maron like what is he he's got is he like what is he like 60 55 it's i'd Um, say yeah in his in his mid 50s yeah um so that's that's weird but uh that's not really the 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 main problem the other problem is or this isn't a problem here's here's the thing this is an unauthorized biopic which means they don't have any rights to david bowie music Mm -hmm. so that's it's weird but it's not unheard of um but you'd also think if you're unauthorized, oh, that maybe uh, you get to, to take on a more daring portrait, not a watered down. You don't get, you know, maybe like I think of like Straight Outta Compton, which is a movie that I thought was fun. But like this is clearly the version of N.W.A. as uh, um, approved by the right. living members of N.W.A. This is not, uh, you know, there's not... Uh, uh, Dr. Day doesn't slap D Barnes backstage um, in <laughs> right. Strata Compton. They leave that sort of stuff out. Um, uh, and so this has, you'd think it had an op, it would have an opportunity, but that's not, this is fan fiction. This is a fawning documentary about uh, David Bowie. But unfortunately, because we can't hear any of the music, it feels like the movie just keeps telling us how important uh, David Bowie is, as opposed to getting us to learn how great he 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 was or see how great he was uh i mean i guess it's you could say it's coasting on the idea of us already knowing but it still shows him perform these like not david bowie songs there's also a super awkward moment that that where 
a he's being interviewed by a rock critic and the critic is quotes back to him the you know so in the song the man who sold the world you sing and then quotes the lyrics except they didn't have the rights to the lyrics so what he says is not the lyrics to the song anyone who knows david bowie or nirvana knows enough of the words to the man who sold the world uh, to know like that's not what that is it's actually the yeah. um he actually quotes the poem um which i had heard before but didn't realize it's called antigonish it's the poem that goes um uh, yesterday upon this day i met a man who wasn't there he wasn't oh, yeah. there again today i wish i wish he'd go away which yeah. apparently was an inspiration for the lyrics to man who sold the world you know we passed upon the stair that sort of thing um but it's just super weird to hear this guy. Say, so in this song, you yeah. say this fucking nursery rhyme. We don't know or whatever. It's super, super strange. It'd be uh, funny if, if like all of the songs that he sang, like, uh, on, on stage were like public domain, like he's singing like camp town races yeah. or something like that. <laughs> For he's a jolly good fellow. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the movie just seems like, if you needed to, this is what uh, I was talking about it with, with Natalie and, and, uh, and Natalie comes up a lot because uh, a lot more on the podcast than she used to, because I'm with her like 24 hours a day. So she's yeah. the person that I'm talking to about movies. But, um, uh, Natalie said like, if this is the movie you're making and you don't have the rights at a certain point, you have to say like, I guess I shouldn't make this movie because or you just make it in a different way you 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 have a david bowie type you do something like like gold Gold mine or something like that uh or you do something like what was it uh is it called i wait i'm not there i'm not there is that the one that's like bob dylan but you know everything's very abstract but everyone knows exactly what you're talking about yeah yeah are you getting confused with i'm still here yes which i didn't even see but that's the walking phoenix uh, as a rapper uh fake documentary yeah, thing i get those mixed up uh so do i um but i never saw i'm still here um but uh it has a sour taste in my mouth because i know the um the me too style allegations sure. against casey affleck happened during the making of that movie right. um so uh i don't really I'm not really eager to watch it okay and on to a surprisingly good movie about uh a musical artist i don't like um for the second time in less than five years, we've got in our hands, Tyler, a Frank Zappa documentary. Oh, yes. Uh, back in 2016, there was Eat That Question, mm. which is a documentary um, that uh, was told in kind of like the uh, the way that Tupac Resurrection did, where right. there's no new interviews. The entire film is narrated by just Frank Zappa talking. Uh, you know, yeah. there's um, this new one, which is directed by Alex Winter. Uh, hmm. you know, uh, Bill S. Preston Esquire yeah. uh, and St. Louis's favorite son um, uh, uh, is a little bit more conventional, but still has a lot of that um, that prankish, anarchic Frank Zappa type energy. Like, uh, uh, I I gather that Alex Winter is a Zappa fan, and he's made a movie that feels uh, kind of. Uh, jittery and uh and 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 uh anxious and and uh overstuffed in the way that a lot of uh frank zappa's stuff uh could so it's uh there's times when there are parts of zappa especially in the early going where 
Um, did I say Zappa is the name of this new one? I'm not sure if I made that clear. Uh, it's, you had not, but but I okay. knew what it was because I've gotten you know press right. screeners. Um, but it is like because I'm in the middle, still in the middle of writing my review, and it is like at least there I have like okay, if it's in italics, I'm talking about the movie. Sure. If it's not, I'm talking about the person. If you're like saying it out loud, I'm like I need to be clear when I'm talking about the movie when I'm talking about the person. Uh, but Zappa, the movie, is uh, at times, especially early on, so chaotic as to almost be a work of like collage like experimental collage hmm. um more than more than a documentary which i uh which i liked which i uh, responded to i still don't like frank zappa's music and i also think uh i mean this isn't a <laughs> this isn't a uh, daring courageous bold opinion i think he was an asshole but I think everyone thinks he was an asshole. I, th- I, I don't think Alex Winter doesn't think he's an asshole. He right. certainly leaves in enough stuff that makes him look like an asshole that, that he, uh, he seems uh, aware of it. Um, but uh, there's, there is something I don't, I, I don't like Frank Zeffa's music, but I've liked both of these documentaries about him. And I feel like there is something very uh perversely curious to him about uh, to, to to me about him um in, in terms of a guy who lived his life completely like monomaniacally devoted to his own art that's yeah. that's all he really seemed to care about um to the uh the uh Oh, what? to the detriment of yeah. many other people around him, including other artists. You know, there's mul- multiple interviews with members of the Mothers of Invention, his his first band, in which you kind of get the impression that they were, on the one hand, they were incredibly talented, accomplished musicians because he wouldn't have hired them if they weren't because right. he was so exacting. But on the other hand, he basically just treated them as employees, um, not as collaborators or, or anything like that. It was, they were there to do exactly what he needed done. Yeah. Um and he wasn't going to uh, ask their opinion or thank them for it. They just right. showed up and did their work and, and got paid. Um, and uh, uh, I can't say I condone that, but it's sort of, uh, in a way, Frank Zappa is like, what if a character from a Damien Chazelle movie were real? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so I, I, I find something fascinating and compelling, uh, about him, especially when, um, even though, like I said, Zappa is a more conventional documentary than eat that question was, it still has a lot of great energy, uh, uh, to it and it feel, still feels, uh, distinguished. So, uh, yeah, I, whether you're, uh, I, I wouldn't say at least it's over, it's long. It's like two hours and 10 minutes. Mm. It's not too long. It's not like that four hour Grateful Dead documentary from a couple sure. years ago, which I watched all of and went. Yeah, it's still not for me. Sorry, yeah. guys. Um, but uh, even if you're not a Zappa fan, I do think that uh, Zappa is worth watching.